This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. The year was 1949, just four years after the conclusion of World War II. And Life magazine that is no longer being published made this statement. For all of our churches and churchgoers, we have become a secular and godless civilization. Unbelievable. A secular magazine, Life magazine, in 1949. In 1995, October, Dr. Richard Halverson, who had been the uh, uh, spokesperson for the United States Senate, the chaplain there, the United States Senate, joined me on this radio program with his last public appearance before he died. He said, if I asked him, Dr. Halverson, do you feel that the church is in danger of forfeiting its soul today? He said, I do. I said, why is that? He said, well, I think the church is becoming more and more like the world around it. I said, that is a pretty serious indictment. He said, well, I think that the church has adopted the secular way, the secular spirit, secular methods. Even the most evangelical tend to be very secular in their approach to life. If that was the view of Dr. Richard Halverson, the chaplain of the United States Senate in 1995, where are we going today? Well, a few years ago, Erwin Lutzer, pastor of the Moody Memorial Church in Chicago, joined me here on this program, and he asked the question through a book, Will America Be Given Another Chance? Whether America has a chance is up to God, and whether we're faithful is up to us. Revived Christians get beget revival, he said, but may, we might be becoming too comfortable to pay the price. Are we too comfortable to pay the price today? Then it was Peter Marshall. He was the son of another famous person there in the United States Senate. He said, we desire results of revival, but we still largely despise its conditions. Nationwide repentance and revival, said Marshall, is America's only hope. Well, those are the very words that Abraham Lincoln gave us. He said that America was the last best hope of Earth. If that be true, what is the hope of Earth? Interesting question here, isn't it? Today on Viewpoint, we're going to be joined, we are joined by a very, very special guest, a new guest. It's, uh, I suspect we're making new friends here today on Viewpoint. Christy Stutzman has uh, herself run for office, in fact, uh, has been in public office, but her husband has been a congressman for many years, and she's joining us here today with her book, The Spiritual Price of Political Silence. The Spiritual Price of Political Silence. I could actually reverse that and say, the political price of spiritual silence. It's both ways. It works both ways, friends, and somehow we've got to get it together. How are we going to get it together? Well, that's what uh, Christy is joining us here today on Viewpoint to talk about, how we get this together because the entire world is watching. Indeed, the entire world is watching and I welcome Christy Stutzman here to the program today. 
the spiritual price of political silence. Good, good to have you on board, Christy. Thank you so much for having me, Chuck. It's an honor. Well, you and your husband have been big-time farmers out there in Indiana, and uh, where is farming going today? <laughs> well, farming is facing a lot of challenges, just like every other sector. And, yeah. You know, farming has been inundated with government regulations and stipulations and limitations. Uh, you name it. There's there's all kinds of things that are being thrown at farmers, just like in other sectors. Well, even in the political world now, we're being told that uh, government is going to uh, require us to see, cease eating meat. Uh, we're going to right. the only way we're going to eat meat is if we gather enough uh, uh, grasshoppers together. Oh my. Well, I hope it's not so. And where we live, uh, I don't think they're going to be letting go of their meat anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've got a tall order on you there uh, with a 4,000-acre farm in Indiana. But your heart is broken for our country. Why? Right. Well, when you look around today and you see all the chaos and uh, the corruption and the craziness that's happening in our world, I think a lot of people are starting to ask the question, where did this come from? How did this happen? Why is it happening? Um, and I think during COVID, there were a lot of eyes that were opened to the realization that there was a, a targeted effort uh, in our education system with our children and the curriculums they've been taught for actually mm-hmm. several generations. Uh, but there was also an awakening in the church. Uh, the churches were being shut down, and there was confusion as to what should be done. I think, you know, the heat was turned up, and all of a sudden we had to stop and do a gut check and say, now, wait a minute, Uh, where are our freedoms? What are we allowed to do? Why is this happening? And what can we do about it? Uh, So it's it's definitely, there's there's a turning point here in the country, and uh, I think we really need to get our house in order. Well, I believe that turning point began in major measure, uh, not just with, the removal of prayer from the public schools and the Bible and so on in 1961 to 1963. But it also began, uh, we, we saw the effect of that in 1992 and 93 when all of America's news magazines had cover stories. One, how the American dream unraveled and uh, uh, of that ilk. And even Forbes magazine, the premier business magazine for America, devoted its 75th anniversary edition to asking whatever happened to virtue in America. Right. I think as I did my research for the book, I was actually surprised and almost shocked at how far back the cultural Marxist humanism goes. Um, It actually came to this country about 100 years ago, Mm -hmm. and it came in the form of intellectual elites, uh, from the Critical Theory University over in, in um, Germany. Yep. Uh, and they came here with an express purpose of not just targeting America, but targeting our children, targeting the education system, because they realized that their failures to find utopia and other, other civilizations uh, were due to the fact that, now this was their assessment, One Antonio Gramsci is one of them who wrote from his prison cell that the next time we try this thing, let's target the children. And so they came here targeting our children, whether it started in the universities, but now it goes all the way down to the kindergarten level. Uh, and they have done it for several generations. And I think when you see in the 60s and 70s some of these titles that you're mentioning coming up, I think that is it coming to fruition uh, from several generations being inundated with this cultural Marxist humanism. Yeah. Uh, and so it was actually uh, – 
rearing its head publicly in that way in our culture. And today it is a, an all-out uh, battle between good and evil. Believe it or not, I was a public school teacher during the era when all this was being implemented, believe it or not. I taught school for nine <laughs> years know. from 1967 <laughs> through 1974, 75, when I began practicing law. And it was during that period of time, right uh, toward the tail end of the Vietnam War and entering into the aftermath of it, that we began to see the intentionality of the yes. revolutionizing of American education uh, right. moving away from faith and causing yes. all to embrace feelings as the final authority for life yes. and practice. We'll talk about that when we get back from this break. Stay tuned, my dear friends. The Spiritual Price of Political Science with Christy Hudson. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. Such a delight to join you here again on Viewpoint 28 and a half years confronting the deepest issues of America's heart and home from God's eternal perspective. You see, without God in the driver's seat, we're going to have more and more chaos. Dr. Uh, uh, Marshall, Peter Marshall, back there when he was uh, still the uh, chaplain of the United States Senate, said, we will either have Christ or chaos. Christ or chaos. Mm -hmm. You wonder why we have chaos today? It's because we've abandoned Christ. In fact, in many respects, we've abandoned him even in our churches. We've even taken down the cross. That's right, we've taken down the cross in many, if not most, of our churches. Along with the Ten Commandments, by the way. Why have we done that? Because we're becoming ever more conformed to the demands of the culture in order to try to win a godless culture to Christ. Instead, they're winning us to the culture. And so we're in a desperate situation. And the entire world is watching. Our special guest today, Christy uh, Stutzman, with her book, The Spiritual Price of Political Science. And uh, this is a $19 book. It's yours for $18 on our website today, saveus.org. Saveus.org. Give us a call at 1-800-SAVE-USA, 1-800-SAVE-USA. Or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. One of the things that captured me about uh, Christie's book was at the very beginning of the book. It sets the stage. It sets the stage in our own minds and hearts it set the stage for her in her own mind and heart for the very writing of the book. In 1985, 1985, I was standing with about 30 other uh, Christians that we had taken, uh, I don't mean 85, I mean uh, 2005. 2005 was standing with uh, about 30 other Christians that we had taken on a tour there in Israel. We were standing on the Mount of the Beatitudes overlooking the Sea of Galilee, 
And I was able to speak from that location to those people. Well, our guest today says she was standing there at the same place, not at the same time, but was standing there at the same place, and something was said to that group, a group of congressmen that were there in Israel that grabbed her attention and wrenched her heart. Can you share that story with us, Christy? Sure. It's a moment I will never forget. I think we all have those moments where they're just ingrained on our hearts and minds. Uh, But in that moment, we were being led by an Israeli citizen. He did a great job at all the different locations that we went to. And Mm -hmm. uh, we were traveling with a group of congressmen and their spouses, uh, all of whom had been part of Bible studies and prayer groups together. Mm -hmm. So we were thrilled to be visiting these biblical sites and uh, walking the footsteps of Jesus. And uh, as we stood there on the Mount of Beatitudes, the guide made it clear to us that, you know, he was not religious at all. He was not practicing his Jewish faith, mm-hmm. uh, although he was Jewish by descent. and uh, But he asked us to read Matthew 5, and so we got to the verses that said, You're the salt of the earth, mm. but if the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is henceforth good for nothing to be cast out and be trodden underfoot of men. And then we read, You're the light of the world, the city that is set in the hill cannot be hid. And we, he stopped us, and he said, I just, I just want you to know, as leaders in America, that America has done this thing that Jesus said. America has been a light to the world. And I want to thank you for that. He said, but I want to ask you, please don't stop. If you stop, I don't know who's going to take your place. I don't know who's going to step by. I don't see anyone else who's going to do what you've done. Mm. And we were so moved. Uh, And and then the burden really fell on our shoulders. And I I told my husband later, first of all, wow, you know, I'm so thankful that the vision of the Founding Fathers and the Pilgrim Fathers and the Puritans, all those who came here seeking freedom, uh, and their goal was not just freedom for themselves, but freedom for mankind in Christ. And they were seeking to be a light to the world. But that had come to fruition. I mean, Adoniram Judson, a hundred years after the establishment of the, of the nation, mm-hmm. went off to, to Burma, Myanmar now today. Uh, there's just so many examples of how, you know, yes, we have been a light to the world. But my second question was, why is he asking us not to stop? What is he seeing? What is he looking at? And I truly believe that the world is looking at our light dimming, at the foundations crumbling, and they're wondering what's going to happen. Without America, what's going to happen? Exactly. Uh, You know, I was uh, uh, flying back and forth across the country for a while, speaking and so on, and uh, had a stopover in uh, Cincinnati. And uh, as I was sitting there in the airport, there was a gentleman, uh, an African gentleman across from me, and so we engaged each other in conversation. He said he was from Zimbabwe. And uh, so I was sharing with him what I was doing, why I was doing it, and he got very sober, and he said, mm-hmm. Mr. Chris Meyer, it used to be that the missionaries from America would come to my country in Zimbabwe, and we would ask them, why is it that America is so prosperous? What is it? And they would tell us, it's because America loves and serves God. Right. And then he said this, can you tell me what's happened to America? Mm. Yeah. I'll never forget it. We, What's happened? We, we, to, that was 20-some yeah. years ago. No, we and as we went on congressional delegation trips, especially to the Eastern Bloc countries that used to be part of the USSR, um, I would ask questions, pointed questions, 
people that had lived there under the communist rule. One of the questions I asked was, did you have freedom of religion? And I had one gentleman answer me. I think he was from Lithuania. And he said, well, he kind of jokingly said, well, yes, of course we did. And I was surprised. And I said, oh, so you could go to any church that you chose? And he said, well, of course we could, as long as we didn't go to college. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, my parents had a decision to make. You know, if we were going to be people of faith, that meant that we wouldn't be able to go to college because we weren't scientific. <laughs> and I, I realized, wow, okay, so I'm seeing undercurrents of the same mentality mm-hmm. in America today. I mean, I can't remember the last time or any time, actually, that I've seen a, a scientist who adheres to the creation, uh, um, you know, uh, theory and and biblical worldview. Right. I have not seen them tapped as as experts by National Geographic or any other science channel. Um, that just doesn't happen. Why not? You know. And so it's not that far of a step to think that when the government decides what is science and what is not, mm-hmm. they can also decide uh, whether you qualify or not. Well, they can also decide whether you're going to have to take a jab that's never been tested or not. Sorry exactly. about that, but it's true. <laughs> yeah, and it's you know it's a matter of uh, realizing that it's a it's an incremental step towards this uh, mentality that the government knows best, and uh, it's a relegating of our freedoms. And you know when we we look around today, there is an anarchy of the mind and spirit that is mm-hmm. happening. Yes, uh, and that anarchy uh, that means lawlessness. By the way, <laughs> yes, and it's rooted directly to the humanist view of the world. So a humanist says, and again, the Bible has wrapped it up in one verse that says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And as soon as you decide that, then you're going to try to fight against any type of thing that represents authority, whether it is the family unit, whether it is law enforcement, whether it is the government, anything. Because freedom in that definition is freedom to be my own God. And that is mm-hmm. not freedom. That's not true freedom. Well, what if you say, um, yeah, I believe in God. Of course, the devil believes and trembles. Uh, we don't right. see too many Christians trembling at the fear of the Lord these days. But uh, let, let's suppose we believe in God, uh, in my book, Renewing the Soul of America, uh, and also in a document, a 30-page document that I served on 300 national Christian leaders in 1996. I said, our problem in America is not that we don't believe in God. It's just that we don't believe him. Yes. (laughs) In other words, words, we look at the lawlessness in our country, but we don't see the lawlessness in our own churches. Yes. That's called antinomianism, big fancy word, (laughs) uh, which is similar to the word anarchy in in the secular world. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and we've seen it in our churches for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, there's this, this growing, and there was a, actually, and I was, as I was doing the research, I, I realized that there, were, there was a divide in the church right around the turn of the century. Uh, part of the church decided that, you know what, government politics, you know, that wasn't their purview. They're going to focus on their mission. The other side of the church decided that they were going to relegate some of their responsibilities over to the government. You know, that the government was going to be more involved in everything. Mm-hmm. Well, I think I think both sides got it wrong. Um, and there's a balance. And I think you mean there's a both andness. Yes. What makes us unique in the history of the world mm-hmm. is, as Americans specifically is the fact that it shouldn't be one or the other. It's actually a birthright to have both. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and, and as our birthright, we, we, we also have a duty with it. So we can't, ex- you know, enjoy the blessings of liberty and the abundance, uh, abundance that it provides and be blinded by that to our duty that comes right along with it. My sons love the, um, the story of Spider-Man and watching that, you know, the whole story. But there's a quote in there. It says, with great power comes great responsibility. Mm-hmm. Well, the same thing with freedom. With great freedom comes great responsibility. And it, it was never meant, I mean, the, the founders, the one assumption that they made was that people of faith would always be involved in our government, in our governance. Yeah. And in the decision making, uh, I think that was twofold. There was there was two reasons why they, they assumed that. First of all, out of self protection, uh, to make sure that as we have a seat at the table, uh, that we would be there, part of the discussions, decision making, guiding those decisions, and also protecting our own freedoms by doing so. But second of all, they knew that any government that they formed, no matter how good it was, was not going to be sustainable unless a moral guidance was present, being there at the table, speaking truth. Yeah, well, that moral guidance has to begin in the family, doesn't it? It does. And it's not happening. It's not happening. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, you were talking about this, and I I was thinking about uh, uh, Dr. Charles Finney, uh, Reverend Charles Finney, back at the time of the Second Great Awakening. And Mm -hmm. uh, he was uh, a major potent voice at that time, and he said that if uh, you have a godless government, it is because you have a godless church. Yes, exactly. President Garfield said a very similar quote as well. Um, And in really, I think what we've forgotten is that as Americans, we we are not like any other country Mm -hmm. in the history of the world. Right. This is a government of we the people, and the structure and the, the process, it's all still there. It's still accessible. I mean, I'm a fine arts teacher. You know, I I write music. I mean, I Good don't have you. a title. You know, I mean, that's that's not, I wasn't born into a family that said you're going to go into politics. Uh-huh. I just was a concerned citizen who, who got involved and stepped through open doors as God opened them and just trusted him and said, Lord, please help me and guide me. Same thing with my husband. Right. You know, farming family, you know, just concerned about our community. After 9-11, we're holding a three-week-old boy in our arms thinking, what does the future hold for our child? Mm-hmm. Who's in charge in our community? What if something happened like this in our state? Who would we trust? And we just started showing up trying to find out who our leaders were. And one thing led to another, and next thing you know, but that's an American story. That's not a European story. It's not any other right. uh, you know area story. It is an American story. And I think sometimes we forget that there is not a political elite. They actually came from somewhere. And one thing I talk about in the book is the fact that people right now are very concerned that their voice doesn't count, that their vote doesn't count. Right. Uh, and when my well, their vote won't count if they don't vote. <laughs> and I understand that uh, about a third of American Christians didn't vote in the last presidential election. It's a it's a staggering number. Yes, it is. It's very sad. Uh, and what I try to encourage people about that is, is the fact that, you know, my husband, when he first ran as a 24-year-old for state representative, mm-hmm. won by 249 votes. Wow. 249. Every vote counted. And exactly. I've seen races won by less. And what I'm telling people is this. Okay, we're, we're awake now about the school board. They, they decide huge amounts of money that are spent. Mm-hmm. They decide on curriculum. They decide on teacher hiring. They decide where, how the money is spent. 
Those are huge. That's front line right there. So we're awake to that. Now, let's talk about vetting candidates just for school board, not to mention commissioner or city council. Right. So we're, we're looking at school board. Why should we say, well, you know, they're not going to make decisions on Second Amendment issues or, you know, pro-life issues. So I'm not going to worry about that as long as they're – no, wait a minute. That person who's going to run for school board will probably run for city council or maybe even state rep or commissioner or something. But usually they run for something else eventually. And once they've been on the ballot, people are, are familiar with their name right. and they're used to voting for them and they're harder to take out of that process. Exactly. So exactly. So that's how it develops. Friends, the yes. book, The Spiritual Price of Political Silence. Political Silence. Interesting book. $18. We'll put it in your hands. It's on our website, saveus.org. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. SaveUS.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at SaveUS.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, saveus.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, saveus.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archived. Save America Ministries website at saveus.org. Welcome back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chrismeyer. Our special guest, Christy Stutzman, she and her husband are uh, pretty heavily involved in the political arena as uh, Christian believers and also as farmers and uh, a variety of other things that they're doing. They're <laughs> quite an energetic bunch, i got to tell you. Uh, God is going to have to fill them up with spiritual protein to keep them going. But in any event, mm-hmm. she's written this wonderful book, And she says here in the beginning of the book, the world is watching us. There's a cloud of witnesses. They're watching us. Our children are watching us. Most of all, God is watching us. America's unique role in the world was to accomplish two vital missions. First, to live in obedience to God and raise their families according to their own consciences under the authority of God at his will. Secondly, to shine God's light of truth throughout the entire world. So she asks a series of questions. And we want to focus on these for the balance of the program here today. First, what role did faith play in the founding of America? Second, when and why did American Christians begin to lose our influence? Three, Should Christians and people of faith be involved in American politics today? Four, what is our role now in this present crisis of Americans' decline? And five, are we too late to make a difference? Powerful questions. Uh, I think that's that's the heart of your book, isn't it? It is. It really is. Yeah, it was... A labor of love and something that I never really imagined doing, but having watched with a front row seat to uh, 
everything that happens in, in D.C. Uh, on the state level as well as the state house and just so many experiences. I really felt God, you know, leading me to write this book and to share not only my experience, but how easy it is to get involved. It sometimes seems a little overwhelming to most of us that look at it and go, oh, wow, you know, I mean, we would look at the federal level and all the the debates and the the ads and... And the massive money that's being poured out. Oh, unbelievable. It is. You can't wrap your brain around it. No, you can't. so much. (laughs) Yeah, it's too much. It's too much. Well, Edmund Burke, back in the 1700s, (laughs) made a statement that I'll never forget. He said, I can't do everything, but I can do something. What I can do, I should do, and by the grace of God, I will do. I will do. I don't have. Yeah. A, I don't yep. think we have too many people out there who are saying, "By the grace of God, I will do," because mm-hmm. they're just not engaged. Yeah, and you know, it can be ugly, it can be messy, but when you look back at American history, when you read the public debates in the papers between John Adams and Thomas Jefferson, <laughs> I mean, they had big, big disagreements, right? Well, do you and know how history. slavery was defeated? It was defeated and and fought out on the floor of the United States Senate. On my Mm -hmm. gallery wall is a personal note from Charles Sumner, United States Senator. Senator. Mm -hmm. Here's what he wrote. This was in in 1863, as I recall. Better and, no, it was 61. Better an empty treasury than a single slave. For that. For that, he was beaten almost to death by senators on the floor of the United States Senate. And wow. we thought we had problems today. Right. We thought it was <laughs> ugly today, right? Lord, protect yeah. Mr. Wow. Stutzman from the, the canes of the senators and congressmen. <laughs> I tell you, man. yeah, and that, that gives all new fire. meaning to the word caning, doesn't it? Wow. Okay, so we've talked about the role that faith played in the founding of America. We know that when the pilgrims landed and they established right there, in the name of God, amen, the first representative government statement in America. And then uh, uh, 10 years later, we had uh, John Winthrop, the godly attorney, who landed four boatloads Mm. of Puritans there and uh, wrote the model of Christian charity that some say was the greatest, clearest statement of the American vision ever penned. And uh, we we have these amazing people in our heritage. Our heritage did not start with George Washington or with Benjamin Franklin. It started with those boys back there that risked it all for Mm -hmm. freedom, for love of God and love of their families. Yes, they did. They risked so much. When you read the story of the pilgrims, it is like uh, an adventure. I mean, they were risking so much, and they sold everything that they had, tried to create a new life in Holland, and then after years decided that their children were being corrupted even there by universities Mm -hmm. and stuff. And so they sold everything again, and then all the things that they had to overcome just to get there, and then getting you know blown up the coast, Mm-hmm. Uh, to Massachusetts, where they didn't really have any legal right to be. Right. And so they had to establish their own government and their own governance. 
Uh, and it's amazing. And, you know, Governor Bradford, one of his, one of his famous quotes is just as one small candle may light a thousand. So the light here kindled has shown unto many. Exactly. I think that came to fruition. Well, that uh, sounds really an awful good. lot like what Christ said there in the Sermon on the Mount. Let your light yes. so shine before men. Right. Exactly. And they, you know, they had to carve out a, a living out of a wilderness. And mm-hmm. uh, there's so many stories of, of survival and and God just working miracles in their lives. So, and we think yeah, we're just surviving today with all the pressures out there. <laughs> <laughs> we ain't seen well, nothing yet, have we? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I mean, you know, I had so I did some research on my own family, and it was it was so eye opening uh, and, and encouraging too. Uh, my family came over with William Penn, and oh really? Uh, they left. Oh yeah, and they left. You know, a great live. Well, it was it wasn't great because they were being persecuted because of their religious beliefs as Quakers. Yeah. Well, he wrote uh, he but, wrote no cross, no crown. Yeah, <laughs> yes, and so my my relatives came over, and the first winter or two, they lived in a cave. You know, these are people that had a nice manor house. Wait a minute, are you saying your family were cavemen? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. They were. <laughs> yeah, and they had to teach themselves, you know, how to, to work the land. And right. Build, I mean, just everything, everything. So there was huge sacrifices going on. It was all for the cause uh-huh. of living according to their own conscience and what they believed God had taught, had given them to do. Uh, and they also were, they knew they were a stepping stone. They knew that. Right. Um, and they sacrificed everything, being willing to be a stepping stone so that we might be able to be here today. So when I hear people say, well, it's just too messy, it's too ugly, I just say, you know, it always has been. And believe me, there's politics in the church as well. Oh, you got to believe that. And you leap forward 175 <laughs> years after Winthrop and Governor Bradford and so on, and you find what we look to as our political founders. And John Adams, the second president, says our government was made for a moral and Christian people and is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. Of any other, yes, exactly, and that's what they were counting on was the people of faith would always be involved in our government. Uh, they they welcomed a healthy debate. They thought it was great. But I think you know I just wrote an article for the Washington Times recently, and uh, basically said that I think it's time to do away with Grandma's rule of no religion and politics at the table. Sorry, I think we got to talk about it, and we need to talk about it with understanding, with knowledge, mm-hmm. with God's wisdom. Because if we don't talk to our children and grandchildren, somebody else is going to. Exactly. And they are. And they are. In school, they're inundated with it. Yeah. Uh, Everywhere they go, they're inundated with it. So let's be stewards of our own children. And, you know, like you said before, we can start the culture in our hearts. Because we complain. We say, you know, well, Hollywood ruins our culture and politics is bad and everything. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Hey, let's start in our homes and in our hearts. You got that, sister. You got that, sister. (laughs) And, you know, it's interesting. When I wrote the book, Renewing, when I wrote the book, uh, Hearts of the Fathers, Leaving a Legacy That Lasts, just a few years ago, Mm. uh, it was a book about how to raise up fathers to catch, to re-catch and capture the vision that our earliest founders, the spiritual founders, had for their families. And uh, here's the interesting thing about that. That book has been purchased 70% by women. What does that <laughs> wow. tell you about wow. the spiritual future and, and heritage of America? Yeah. The yeah, men exactly. are abdicating you know, their role. Yes. Thank yes. the Lord and, for your husband. 
<laughs> well, we, we need more men to actually step into the lives of young men yes. and young women and be a surrogate father when they don't have one. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it means going out of your way. It means extra time and effort. But I tell you, you know, I've seen my husband do that in the lives of young men mm-hmm. and really mentor them and make a difference. And you see a change. You see a light go off and they think, I can do this because he believes in me and he says God believes in me. And so they have this renewed purpose in their life. When they find that purpose, there's no limit to what God can do um, if they're willing to be used by him. But, you know, right now when we talk about the Judeo-Christian founding, I'm watching my book, you know, on Amazon and other places, and I'm seeing other books coming up that are, you know, listed as similar. Mm -hmm. Well, there's some books coming out right now that are talking about this Christian nationalism. They're trying to equate the word nationalism with negative connotations. Exactly. And they're trying to t- they're trying to talk down on it and it's dangerous and it is it is very very prevalent Well right what now. they're and doing they're trying to relate the Christian foundations of this country and that which undergirded the entire purpose and vision of the country as if it is Hitlerian. Yes, exactly. That's what That's they're doing. That's what they're doing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and they, yeah. they're, they're masters at using language and redefining it. We've yeah. got to be aware of that. When they say freedom, they mean freedom from all authority. Yeah. They don't mean freedom to do good. That's not what exactly. They, mean. they don't mean freedom to do what they ought to do. They mean freedom to do what I what I want to do, no matter what anybody else says, including God. All right, friends, yeah. <laughs> the book, The Spiritual <laughs> Price of Political Silence. Christy and I could talk for hours on this. I know we could. Uh, Rachel Campos Duffy there from Fox News says, this book is just is not just timely. It's essential reading for every person of faith in America today, and it's true. So it's a hardbound book. Uh, $18, we'll put it in your hands. It's on our website, saveus.org. Give us a call at 1-800-SAVE-USA. That's 1-800-SAVE-USA. Or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. Now you say, what do you mean by Save America? Uh, I thought God was no respecter of people or nations. Well, that's true. But he actually gave a vision for this country as he did for Israel. Are we throwing it away? Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. Thanks so much, my friends, for joining us here on Viewpoint today. Viewpoint determines destiny. There are no neutral viewpoints. None. Every viewpoint that we have, great or or small, is determining destiny in some way. 
Our viewpoint concerning the country and its purpose is determining destiny. Our viewpoint concerning the role of the church and God is determining destiny. Our role personally as those responsible for training up our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord is determining the destiny of the country and their own spiritual destiny. You see, these destinies are intermingled. They're interlocked together. And our earliest founders saw that. They knew that, and they were willing to sacrifice for it. But the word sacrifice really doesn't compute today. It just doesn't compute in this day of unbelievable prosperity. We have an entitlement mentality. We would never be able to launch a nation like our founders did. They didn't have a spirit of entitlement. They had to trust God and to align themselves with his word and his will and his ways. How about us today? What is our role in this present crisis of America's decline? It's a combination of walking by faith, obeying God, and then doing what he asks us to do to be involved in the warp and woof of life in the country. That's what our guest is trying to tell us in her book, The Spiritual Price of Political Silence, I believe. Do I have that right, Christy? Uh, Yes, spot on, exactly right. Completely agree with that. We do. Are we too late to make a difference? Uh, Leonard Ravenhill uh, wrote a book years ago. He said, is America too young to die? Yes, it is. And I think it is up to us. So we heard the, we've heard the phrase over and over, not on my watch, about so many things. Well, I'm determined as, you know, just a, a citizen that it's not going to happen on my watch either. And if I have to be bold and speak out uh, on different issues and take criticism, so be it. Bring it on. Because I know, I know the truth, and I know that the truth will set people free, and that truth is unchanging. Um, so if we use, use the tools that are still at our disposal today, mm-hmm. um, and, and we can arm ourselves with, you know, an understanding of our system of government, how it works, the checks and balances, you know, the, uh, of power and everything that is set up there. We, we can turn our culture around. We can turn our nation back to its founding ideals. We, we can, again, rely on divine providence like the founders did. But it's going to take a remnant. My husband was talking to um, Justice Scalia um, when, mm-hmm. my, when he was still with us and uh-huh. uh, had a small meeting there with some congressmen, and they were able to ask some really poignant questions to Scalia, and uh, mm-hmm. my husband asked him, he said, is it too late? Are we too late to save America? And he looked at him and he said, Marlon, he said, it's not too late, but you know what it's going to take? He said, it's not going to take a Supreme Court decision. Mm-hmm. It's not going to take more laws passed. What it's going to take is a spiritual renewal in this country. That's absolutely. Absolutely. And that was coming from a Catholic Supreme Court justice. Yes. Yes. Yeah, and we have been praying for that ever since. And honestly, I truly believe there are pockets of spiritual renewal happening around the country. And, you know, when you look at it and analyze, okay, what are the conditions for spiritual renewal? Well, one of them is a hunger for truth. And when you look at how long we have been targeted, 
in our education system by cultural humanists. I truly believe there is like at least three to four generations of people who have been buying this uh, mentality and buying into this humanistic religion and understanding of the world. And it has not satisfied, has not answered the question. No. And by the way, it has been carried on. That very same spirit has been carried on first uh, in the from the early 1970s into the 1990s through the church growth movement. And then it metastasized into the seeker-sensitive movement in the 1990s, and now the emerging church movement. So exactly what happened in the secular culture has happened in the church culture, thinking that somehow we could win the secular culture to Christ by becoming more like the secular culture. More like them. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That's not what they're looking for. That's not what they're looking for. They're looking for the truth. And if we don't present that... They're not going to ever be free. So we really have to be bold with truth. Um, and they can call us Christian nationalists. They can let them call us or whatever name they want to call us. But the truth is going to speak to hearts that are hungry for it. Well, and Jesus said, if you'll continue in my word, you'll know the truth. Right. But we don't right. want to continue in his word because we don't like what he says. Even the Pope <laughs> doesn't like what he says. As of this oh, week, my. he doesn't like oh, what he says. Goodness. So yeah. we, we have a rebellion in God's house. We really right. do. Just like Israel rebelled continually against God, yes, God called Israel the apple of his eye, but he also judged them terribly over and over and over again. Just read the book of Judges. And uh, right. we're in the same position. We say that God is no respecter of persons or nations. Well, that's true, but he has committed himself to show his favor or honor those who will honor him. Right. That's There's our problem. We're not yeah. honoring God. Right. There's a principle of sowing and reaping. Yep. And it's, it's, it's at play today. Uh, what you sow, you will also reap. I mean, and this is coming from a farmer's wife. So we see it every <laughs> single day. <laughs> well, you you got a godly bunch there. Jesus talked to farmers during his whole ministry. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Hey, listen, you've got some young boys. Uh, How old are they now? Yeah, I have a 22-year-old who's studying at Liberty University, Mm -hmm. uh, the junior there, and then I have a 17-year-old. He's a senior in high school. Well, good deal. Now, the question is, are they infused with a spiritual vision for their own life as young men so that they have a vision then for what's coming after? Yes. In fact, they couldn't help it uh, with, with mom and dad, <laughs> both preaching at them all the time. Uh, uh, no, we really enjoy deep conversations of uh, theology and understanding God's Word and doing deep dives into understanding His truths and then applying it in everyday life. And uh, it's been a joy. It really has been a joy to see them uh, take up the, the flag. In fact, my 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 son, my oldest son, actually went to a different college. It was a, it wasn't a Christian college. It uh-huh. was local here, and uh, ran into some professors who challenged him and actually marked him down on his grades because of his conservative stances. Isn't that? And I something? said, buddy, just take it with as a badge of honor. There you, you know, go. You stood your ground and you stood for what you believed in. When you're so, persecuted for righteousness' sake, great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets that were before you. Yeah, it's nothing new under the sun. So just. 
stand and be bold. But, you know, today we really, we really need to be uh, bold and confident in what we believe. And that means knowing. And so in my book, the, the first part of it, that's why I went into uh-huh. our Judeo Christian founding because we haven't been taught it. I mean, there's so many things that have not been taught in our schools. Right. So if we don't know it, how can we stand on it? So and really so you, you it. try to be very practical in applying uh, everything that we've been sharing here on this program today, applying right. it in ways that should grip uh, people's minds and hearts. Right. I mean, when you're talking about what is the craziness and the anarchy happening around us, they're burning our cities to the ground, and, you know, there's there's transgenderism, uh, and there's a hot, huge rate of suicide. Is, it's, just, yeah. it's just terrible. Drug addiction. What is happening? Well, you know, I kind of explore that, too, and the roots of it and where it came sure. from. But then also, you know, you, you have to know where to start. And there's so many people that have come to me over the years and said, well, where do I even begin? I don't even know what to do. I had a lady who was an amazing crafter, and my husband was running a, running a campaign, and we needed gifts to give as door prizes at different mm. dinners and events. Uh-huh. Well, she made gorgeous crafts. It, and she made it as a contribution, and it's an in-kind contribution, to. and she was doing what she could uh-huh. to be a part of our campaign. There's things like that that you can do, but also, I mean, what I found as a state legislator is that I really appreciated those who got to know my campaign staff and even my you know, state legislative staff and communicated with them um, reasonably and logically and actually helped with the campaigns because I, I knew them. And they establish a relationship, and it's so easy to do with emails and texting and mm-hmm. stuff like that. But I also know a lady in my area who refuses to vote for anyone on her ballot who she has not seen in person. And she'll go to wow. town halls, and she'll go to school board meetings, and she'll go she'll hold coffees in her home. But she wants to see them face-to-face, even if it's at a big event, because she wants to just kind of have that personal experience and, and, and assess them in person. Uh, and that's doable. You just have to take the time to do it. Well, John Winthrop said this, a godly attorney back in 1630, Mm -hmm. so shall we keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The Lord will be our God and delight to dwell among us as his own people. He will command a blessing on us in all our ways, and we shall find that the God of Israel is among us. The Lord will make our name a praise and a glory, for we must consider that we shall be like a city upon a hill. By the way, that isn't Ronald Reagan. That's John Winthrop. Ronald Reagan store it. He plagiarized it from John Winthrop. He goes on to say, if we deal falsely with our God in this work and so cause him to withdraw his present help from us, we shall be made a story and a byword throughout the world. We shall open the mouths of enemies to speak evil of the ways of God and all believers in God. And we shall shame the faces of many of God's worthy servants and cause their prayers to be turned into curses upon us till we be forced out of the new land where we are going. Therefore, he said, let us choose life that we and our seed may live by obeying God's voice and cleaving to him, for he is our life and our prosperity. What a powerful word from John Winthrop's model of Christian charity. By the way, it's in the appendix of my book, Renewing the Soul of America, on our website, saveus.org, and uh, get a hold of that. But Christie's book, uh, The Spiritual Price of Political Silence, is an applicational book for every single one of us. You can't do everything, but you can do something. What you can do, what's that? 
Go ahead. As I was talking to friends, um, I, I, I asked them, you know, just kind of give me an assessment of it. And one of the things they said was, uh, keep the chapter short because I feel good when I finish a chapter. So the chapters are short and it's an easy <laughs> read. <laughs> well, that's very good. And one of the ways you keep a chapter short is by interjecting uh, sections into a chapter uh, with with yeah. boldness. I do that with all of my books. And uh, yeah. yeah. Because people these days are not necessarily readers, are they? Well, not a lot. And some of them are, you know, more, they're listening to audio more and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But those who do read, uh, I was just hoping to get some feedback. And they said, yeah, keep the chapter short. I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah. But, now, your you know, husband, Marlon, your husband, Marlon, is running again, isn't he? Yes, he is. Yes, he's running for Indiana's 3rd Congressional District. Uh-huh. So, uh, friends, you can pray for Marlon Stutzman. Uh, there, it's a, it's a challenge, isn't it? It is. It is a challenge. I mean, when you decide to enter the public arena, uh, you have to be prepared for anything. And somebody gave me a piece of wise advice one time. They said, you know, when you step into a public office or a service of any kind, uh, put your reputation in God's hands and leave it there. Don't worry mm-hmm. about it. If you can't control mm-hmm. it. Give it to him. And exactly. That's what you have to do. That yeah. is so wise. Pray for us quickly. Go ahead and, you you want me to pray? Yeah. Okay, sure, yeah. Lord, thank you so much for fellowship, for for friends, and for those who speak boldly for your truth. Thank you that your word is truth, and we can stand on it without reservation. And thank you so much for uh, giving us this time to have a conversation together. I pray you might bless the work of Chuck's hand. Thank you for his ministry in our lives for so many years. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Christy, thanks so much for joining us here on the program. Friends, again, the book, The Spiritual Price of Political Silence, a hardbound book, yours for $18. It's on our website, saveus.org, saveus.org. Call us, 1-800-SAVE-USA. Write to us at $5 for postage and handling. And seriously consider becoming a partner. Friends, we're confronting the deepest issues of America's heart and home from God's eternal perspective. Day after day after day, are you hearing his voice? Is it making a difference for you? How about contributing to make a difference for someone else? God bless, be a blessing, and pray for the future of this country, friends. Abraham Lincoln said it's the last best hope of earth. Maybe so, other than Christ himself. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.